Hello, this is Evans Maragis, the Harry T. Wilkes Artistic Director for Cincinnati Opera. My guest on this occasion is conductor Ramon Tebar. We'll be talking about how he came to the United States, escapades with the great Spanish soprano Montserrat Caballé, and his philosophies on how to be a musician and love your life as a musician. Not long after I came to work for Cincinnati Opera, I was invited to be a judge at the Palm Beach Opera Vocal Competition. And uh, it was uh, a new experience for me. One of my fellow judges was the rather formidable opera star Renata Scotto. And the first singer came on. It was very good in the competition. Had a terrible pianist. The second singer came on. was not very good. And had a fantastic pianist. And I said to Daniel Biaggi at the first break, who is that phenomenal pianist you have? He said, oh, that's Ramon Tebar, and you should meet him because he has aspirations to being a conductor. And so then we met. Okay, now you tell your version of the story, Ramon. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Evans. Well, so, yes, I mean, I don't remember about the singer who who sang on the pianist. Terrible. The play previous, no? Terrible. (laughs) But yes, I was. I just came to 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 America. That was my first season as assistant conductor, and and rehearsal pianist in in with Palm Beach Opera, and I remember you. I remember Renata Scotto. That also with her. I mean, since then we have had a, a great friendship, and and of course Daniel, who entered the same year as I did. You know, uh, with Palm Beach Opera. Well, and that was one of my duties. It was the last thing that I had to do there because I, I was assistant conductor and cover conductor for the season, and that was the yeah before the summer, no, in May or so. So yes, I, I remember. And you had there. come to Palm Beach Opera. Was it your first work in the USA? It was the first, the very first. So how one. did you get there? Well, it was uh, it was it's very curious because um, interesting because I went to um, well, I mean in Spain in Europe I started. Uh, Playing f- for for very known singers, and and uh, well, they spoke to each other, and and I got some recommendations. And then one day I was I was a rehearsal pianist for an opera. The conductor got sick. It was Dan Pasquale. So I said, I know it. You've played it a hundred times. Yes, I. How many so, times so, have you played the Norina aria in an audition? Well, in auditions, right? I mean, so <laughs> I know it, of course. So I didn't understand. They wanted to cancel the. That was in a small village in in, in Valencia, mm-hmm. so they wanted to cancel the performance. And I said that was the the same day of the performance. So I said, impossible. I know it, but they told me you have never conducted. You come on. I mean, in Spain, we 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 start conducting since we are like this because we we do solfege. Solfeo or solfeggio in mm-hmm. Italian, no? Like musical theory. Mm-hmm. So we move our arms where we sing since we are. So this is not a big secret, moving the arm. Yeah. So I know the music, I can move the arm, I can do it. So, well, the guy told me, okay, just give me 30 minutes with the orchestra before the show. And they gave it to me and I did it. Amazing. And I was like 18, 17, 18, yeah. So you and began you began working with some fairly famous. So you worked with Montserrat Caballé, did you not? Yes, I did. I did. What was, was that like? There was also wow. That that is experience. So it was very very interesting because, well, first of all, working with her was. I mean, I don't think that if yet work with a singer with so many demands and 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 and, I mean, it was 
and performance was great, you know, because although I played for her when she was already, you know, coming to the end of her career. Yes, yeah. but 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 she still kept certain things that you, you can feel. You know, she was one of the greatest. No, like for example, the pianissimi singing this soft uh, note, high notes. Still, she had that. Mm -hmm. She didn't have other things. Mm -hmm. She didn't keep that. But the pianissimi, for example, was something. And when she taught, that's something that that it was. And she mentioned no, that, that it's about the muscles. And, and, it's and all she about never birth control. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. and the diaphragm. Yeah. You know? So. You get this early opportunity. It almost sounds like Toscanini. You know, in South America, <laughs> the conductor gets sick and the cellist gets on the podium and the rest, as they say, is history. So you get this first opportunity to yeah. wave your arms in right. Don Pasquale in a small town. Right. Does that change everything overnight? What? Ha how, does the, how, how does the path go to becoming more and more a conductor? Right. Well, it, it, was, it, it was slow, but overnight... I, all of a sudden, I thought, well, I can do this. I never thought of becoming a conductor, never in my life. I just You, you were know, happy as a pianist. Yeah, I was very happy. Even I remember when I was 12 years old, I remember playing my first concert with Mozart Piano Sonata, some Schumann and this. And they, I remember they gave me, a, they put an envelope in the jacket. And when I arrived home, I said, what is this? And my mom said, well, this is money, this is for you. It's because, a check. You know, is this a joke? I don't play for money. So that was the first, I discovered this. Thing. You're a terrible professional musician. Yeah, it was very yeah, terrible. I said, nowadays still, no? <laughs> I don't check my account. I've been paid here and there. No. Yeah, from the beginning, I mean, it was vocation. So, but overnight, I, I never thought of becoming a conductor. So overnight, I thought, well, this is something maybe I can do. You know, and, and, and it's, it's, I mean, the, the literature for, for opera, for symphony music, is, for orchestra, is so rich that, you know, plus the literature that we have in the, the piano that, well, I'm, I'm blessed. Yeah. So exactly. I just went to, uh, I just decided, you know, maybe it's time that I take some, some lessons yeah. because I never, I never took a conducting lessons. I've played as a pianist in for, for conducting classes, but never, I was never a, a student. You were never at the other end of the operation. I was never yeah. there. But I learned, I think that my best school was working for singers mm -hmm. and with other conductors because I knew, okay, don't do this. <laughs> this doesn't work. You know, because I was behind, you know. And I think this is a very good experience. I had a wonderful piece of advice that I overheard from a famous singing teacher. She would say to a student, honey, don't do that. I can't fix that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, for example, you know, this guy, I mean, I, I learned more from the wrong things that other conductors mm. would do that from the good ones. Of course, I learned a lot from the good ones. Yeah. But mostly what not to do. Because, you know, the music, uh, the way I wanted my interpretation go in some one direction or the other, that I know, mm -hmm. no? and still I'm learning, no? mm -hmm. but I have my own ideas. Mm -hmm. But the way of how or how to realize those ideas you know, in, in the arms, that's what I needed to, 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 to learn a little bit more. No? Did you have a particular teacher that you studied with or just a master classes? How did you go yes, about it, getting the technique? Yes, it was master classes. Like I told you before, I think that the technique, I, I, I acquired technique when I was five, six years old. Because in Spain, every time we do music theory or solfege, we sing, and all in the class, we move conduct. our arms. We yeah. conduct. So we know all the patterns. Yeah. So for me, the technique, it wasn't just the, the uh, we had it, or mm -hmm. at least I had it. Mm -hmm. No, I felt that, that I had it. But yes, I decided to go, you know, I wanted to learn some tricks or or... or 
one of these certain things that that you don't learn in in music theory, you know. So you I, learn on the job, right? That you learn there, yeah. and that's why still I I I I don't I I couldn't say that I have a specific teacher. I had many, and I attended many master classes. Academia mm-hmm. I went there. I went to another master classes in Spain, and that's and then those lead me to go to Rome to study in Rome, and an academy in there. And, and from there, I was invited to to United States. But I, since I didn't have uh, a resume as a conductor, only as a pianist, at the beginning I had to, how you say, forge. Mm-hmm. Like to f- make a lot of fake resumes because, in order to to to, I hope that this is not uh, you know like you won't be arrested for it. Don't worry. <laughs> for that, right? It's worked. <laughs> it worked, no? Yeah, your little charade worked. So don't worry about it. <laughs> but I remember, you know, in the in the flyers, they would say, "Okay, send you know your experience, your resume." That so I would say, "Yes, I've conducted here and here, I, or I, I studied in this." I never did. But when we did the audition the first day of of, of master classes. I always entered. Yeah. So, no? so you had what it took. Yeah, you just well, didn't I have it on that. paper. Right. So you come to the United States to work at Palm Beach Opera, and uh, we meet. And mm. um, the first thing I think I said to you, or you know, after having a bit of conversation, is, would you like to come to Cincinnati? I can't offer you a performance, but would you like to come in and be an assistant and right. play rehearsals? Right. So it, describe for me, if you will, looking back on those years, just 10 years ago, but already, you know, your career has been sort of like a meteor. What were those first couple of years working here before you got on the podium? What was it like working here in Cincinnati? Okay, so I have to to say that when you told me that, because it was exactly like that, I remember you coming, you know, out of the, in one of the breaks, you mm-hmm. know. And you even hired me before for for uh, for the Spoleto Festival. Mm-hmm. That was 2007, and then 2008. Yep. Here in 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 Cincinnati. So the first thing that you thought, of, oh my God, this is the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, wow. So I just came here, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's this guy who recognized my talent, and he's offered me a, a job. I never saw this like that, you know, like sudden. Mm-hmm. So it was like very encouraging to me, no? Talent is obvious. Uh, well, but I appreciate that you, you know, paid attention, no? Yeah. And and when, since then, I like you say, I, I came here for two seasons, 2008 and 9, to Cincinnati Opera. And since then, I mean, I feel, I felt uh, that this is like, I mean, you have made this house, this company, like to, 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 I mean, they welcome everyone, you know, as, almost as a part of a family with you and all your team. I felt always very welcome, no, and very appreciated. So making music here is is is, is very rewarding, and and well, I mean, then you invited me later, so every time you have invited me, of course, I mean, I, I love to come here because not in every place now that I'm getting more experience. You feel, you know, this warmth. Mm-hmm. Not in any place. Sometimes you go to wonderful companies, but there is well tension. There is, you know, a lot of, of, of competition in there, or with their. I mean, there's so many things going on. And, and in Cincinnati, I have to say that everything is so relaxed, and you know, and still uh, very professional. Mm-hmm. So I love the combination. Huh? I seem to recall that in your first season, you also participated in something that we did for a couple of years called uh, Opera Idol. You were the pianist (laughs) for all of those wonderful amateurs, some of whom had never sung a professional note in their lives. What's it like as a pianist with someone who 
who is struggling a little bit and who is not a complete professional, what do you what can you do as a pianist to help them? Right. Well, this is something that I learned with Monserrat Caballé. Mm-hmm. She was one of the greatest divas, <laughs> but it was very difficult to work with with her if you weren't ready. Mm-hmm. No, if you were expecting, I mean, I was just graduated from conservatory, and I was expecting certain things, and she was the great Monserrat Caballé. So I learned a lot. Actually, I always say that I survived her. I've survived Monserrat. I can do anything with anyone. <laughs> so in that case, you know, when I, I opera idol, mm-hmm. well, I mean, as a pianist, more than a pianist, as a musician, I feel that, of course, I mean, you have to have, or I, I, I start from from respect from to the score, no, mm-hmm. which is what I would like all musicians you know, or artists. But music is more than the than the written score, it's more than the notes. And what I learned in that experience is, is the 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 willingness of many of the, the passion of many of these singers, which is I think that is most of the time is more important even than the technique. Mm-hmm. So so many times I've found great singers, meaning you know technically. You know, like perfect, right. superb, and, and and with wonderful color in the voice, but many they are missing the passion that uh, which with they started with, no. And with amateur singers, even with uh, amateur choruses, I've always had the best experiences of all because they're not paid. So they really go there and they give you your, your their, their heart. And this is something that I've I've always tried to 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 look for in orchestras in 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 professional chorus, and I'm not gonna say of course because greatest artists that I don't always find it I find it many times, but sometimes I wonder look this professional orchestra they just play like it's a root a, a routine. routinary routine no, yeah. and this is something that I think we professional musicians although I don't really like that uh, word as no no professional how. You can be a professional artist. Or, mm-hmm. You're an amateur who gets paid. Right. Amateur right. in the best sense of the word, in someone the, who loves it. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. You make it. And you know, it's. It, I often say, I when I meet people and I talk about the work that I do, I always have to add, and well, by the way, I do get paid for doing this. It's, yes. And sometimes it's surprising to me because I love it so much. I don't know if I would do it for free, but it feels <laughs> right. like I'm doing it for free <laughs> because there's so much joy in it. Is, yes, we're really blessed, and it's a privilege, you know, to to do what we love and still be in bed. No? And, and, and I'm remembering the second season you were with us, 2009, was a season that we had devoted to Spanish opera, meaning opera inspired by Spain. And so you were a particularly valuable colleague that summer because we did an opera in Spanish. Uh, it was only the second time we'd done an opera in Spanish, Ana Damar, uh, about the life of Lorca, by the wonderful South American composer Osvaldo Golihoff, Figaro, of course, which yes. we've done this summer, Carmen at Carmen. the end of the season, and Don Carlo, Don Carlo. which is Wonderful. one of the most amazing things. I would love for you, as a Spaniard, to tell me a little bit what you think. Why have Spanish stories so inspired so many opera composers in several centuries and in different cultures outside of Spain. What is it about your literature and the history of your country that makes it so perfect for opera? Right. Well, 
first, I think maybe it's, it's our personality. You know, maybe we're, we have a lot of drama in our <laughs> lives. <laughs> but you can see, I mean, that, that's something that, that South Americans oh, yeah, all across uh, inherited. The Medi- yeah, and, yes, exactly. And all across the Mediterranean. My family, we're Greeks. Same thing. You see, the same thing. So drama, it, it, drama, and more drama. So <laughs> this is one of the things. The other thing is that, you know, I mean, Spain is part of Europe, but it's still is Europe, right? You know, in the corner in the south, and there was the Pyrenees. When you know we we were kind of isolated, so Spain was always like an exotic country. There's a lot of mystery. We have a lot of history, but uh, also is a lot of diversity. So I think that that has been always still nowadays. Still nowadays, I mean, we have a lot of people from the north of Europe coming, retiring to in Spain or coming to holidays there. Not only because of the weather is wonderful, but uh, the food. So uh, it's a very rich country. You know, and the uh, 15th century, 16th century, we were mostly one of the leaders in, in painting, one of the great painters, or in literature. No, in music, not so much. Interestingly, very interesting. Maybe I mean we are. I mean we are. We used to be out in the street all the time. You know, and, not and, and in the conservatory, uh, right? Not in the conservatory. <laughs> well, in the conservatory also. <laughs> I, I I miss some classes from time to time because. So it continues to our day. <laughs> yes, yes. Even today, I think it's like actually it's, it's our personality. You know, maybe for music you need more time to spend more time in home. You no, know? like in Germany, Austria, you know, to get more inspired, to move a little bit more. Um, but I mean, it's, it's a sunny country, and and and, and uh, we live, you know, until very late. So there's so many legends and history, and and and. and uh, well, yeah. you touch on something oh. fascinating because I think people, at the, if they if they just say Spain, they have the picture postcard cliches. But you are very close to North Africa, as you say. You are a little bit isolated from. Europe geographically, yeah. uh, you are a country within the country of tremendous diversity in terms of cultures from one part of the country to another. Andalusia is very different from Bar- you know, from Catalonia, yes. it's very different from every other part of the country. And you have this wonderful literary tradition going back to Cervantes and all of these, all of these writers who seem to find that ability to convey the as you say the passion of the people mm-hmm. in art whether it's Velázquez or uh, or later later painters not so much perhaps sculpture but certainly right. painting and literature and poetry right. and opera composers of the 19th I think Verdi what was the statistic once I think at least five of Verdi's operas are Spanish subjects yeah, based, yeah. but you point out something interesting also about the heritage of your country is that it was not a country where instrumental classical music orchestras were had any had any any place in the country of any consequence until well into the 20th century mm-hmm. 1930s 1940s right yeah. with musicians like Manuel de Falla or Isaac Albéniz Granados well i think that that uh, when europe in the classic era when Mozart, Haydn was alive, and I mean, we had great musicians like uh, Thomas Luis de Victoria, uh, Cabezón, you know, the Renaissance. In the Renaissance, no? in the Renaissance, Renaissance and early had, composers, yes, exactly. We had great composers. One of the most uh, famous composers in Mozart's time was from my hometown, Martini Soler. 
Oh my goodness. You know, it's Don Giovanni, yeah. well, even Mozart uh, did a Mozart, quote. Mozart quotes from, uh, from La Cosa Rara. Uh, from La Cosa Rara of Soler. Soler. In Soler. Yeah. And Soler was, was the most famous opera composer, even more famous than Mozart at that time. In their lifetimes. In yeah. their lifetimes, no? So we had so we had Boccherini who spent decades in, 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 in Madrid, no? In the, Scarlatti in the court. too. Scarlatti as well. Yeah. But we were, uh, yes, we were more, uh, I mean, Spain at that time was, was an empire. I mean, in, 16, in 15th century, Columbus comes to America. We have so many lands, so many territories. Our emperor was a Spanish, but was born in Germany, Charles V. Mm -hmm. So there was a mix of cultures that we really, it seems that we really needed to have, you know, we could export Italians to do opera in Spain. We could export other people on send ours. Yeah, it's it's interesting how in music, you know, for example, um, also Farinelli, Farinelli, the great, uh, the great Castrato, Castrato yeah. he was for decades also singing uh, in, in Madrid. He was a singer of the court in Madrid. Amazing. Yes, well, that, so, I mean, the situation has been remedied closer to our own time. We have some very good orchestras in Spain now mm -hmm. and opera houses that are the envy of Europe, several of them, which are quite beautiful. And so uh, the situation now has changed dramatically. And really, in a very short period of time, Ramon, your own career as a conductor blossomed. It's been about just a decade, really, since mm -hmm. your days of uh, winding up your, your life as an assistant conductor and a coach accompanist into a career that stretches the globe, Vienna State Opera, and so on and so forth. What have been some, what have been two or three important points along the way for you, either an engagement or a particular concert or a production, what are some of the, the things in your still very young career of being a worldwide conductor that are particularly cherishable memories for you, events that have happened? Yes. So the first, I would say that the way I became a conductor is, has been a little bit like old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. So, like you say, I you started, started in the opera, in the opera house, at the keyboard, at the keyboard, like singers, like Klemper, like Bruno Walter, like Karian, like yes, all of them, like all of them. Yeah. Nowadays, not all of them, you know, doing yeah. that this path. But I, I'm very, I'm very. Uh, I think that it was a privilege for me to learn, mm -hmm. you know, the craft and to learn how to conduct in the repertoire in the opera houses. For me, that's the best school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I always repeat it when they ask me, you know, where have you studied? So the theater, that has been my... You've been to the school of life. Of life, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so playing for singers has been the greatest school. Because even if you, uh, you learn how to move the arms, the proper technique of conducting, but nobody can teach you how to breathe. If you don't have not felt it in your at least, you know, in your fingers by accompanying singers or in the instrument, I mean, you have to feel that to to be there on the stage, eh? and this is something that you only learned with the greatest, no? So that has been for me the first, you know, milestone. Then coming to to America, because in my country I was known well as a pianist, uh, accompanying singers. I did, I conducted small things. I became assistant conductor of the Spanish Youth National Orchestra, also lying in Romero-Sumé. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I won the competition. I won the first, you know, <laughs> place in the first So, 
Um, so that was important to create also symphonic repertoire, but the circumstances and meeting great singers like Caballé or Teresa Berganza, for example, whom I also played uh, for in, in master classes, um, and coming to America was very important. In America also, um, it taught me a lot of things, no? And here also, I, 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 I was appointed for first time. I was responsible for 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 musical organizations. At the beginning, were very small, but it was still very important. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still think like that. Actually, I was attached to one of them, you know, until this 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 uh, season, the Palm Symphony. I've been, I've been ten years with them. It's very small organizations. We did six, seven courses a year, but having the experience of 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 of, of leading, you know, um, uh, an orchestra, and, you know. So being in an organization, this is, I think, it's also important. It's not just going to the podium and move the arm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many things before that, no? Uh, then I was appointed uh, in Miami, uh, and and now I'm I'm coming back to Europe. Also, coming back to to my hometown has been important. Why so? Well, I I left because I felt at a certain point I, uh, they couldn't give me more opportunities. I mean, they helped me when I was a pianist, but when I became a conductor, things, change. you know, change. Oh, because now I, I was competition to other people, you know, and then I remember that very clear. I mean, there were a lot of people who loved me when I was a pianist and when I started to conduct. They didn't love you so much. <laughs> it was but a you different, know, the same huh? thing happened to Scholte. Scholte would talk yeah. about the fact that he was, uh, the people at the opera in Budapest were very happy when he was a pianist, yeah. but because also because of the prejudice, because he was Jewish, mm -hmm. they said, well, no, we don't have any Jewish conductors. And it actually took this famous situation with Toscanini, who you know gave him this letter of recommendation after he played in Salzburg, that his home theater had to give him the opportunity or it would have been a scandal. Yes. So it wasn't as it, it wasn't as difficult for you, but you came back and you eventually conducted in Valencia. Right, yeah. I conducted in Valencia. Actually, the, one of the last things that I did in Valencia was being the pianist for Luisa Miller and Lori Mazel was the conductor. It was the first time he was conducting opera uh, in Valencia, but at, at the auditorium at the Symphony Hall. And now I came back ten years later. Actually, I played for for them auditions for the singers, for Subin Meta and Lori Marcel. I remember Subin Meta before coming to America offered me to be his pianist at the new opera house, but I had already the contract in Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. And he told me, he told me uh, in a very good Spanish, uh, I told him, look, maestro, I would love to, to, to be your pianist, but now I'm starting to conduct. And I have this contract in Palm Beach. I know this, but if you tell, if I could be your assistant conductor here, well, I will call them and, you know, and, and he told me, look, I know Palm Beach is a very small opera house, but I'm sure that you will have more chances there than here. Very good advice. Yes, and he told me in Spanish, I'm going to say it in Spanish and then I will translate it. He, he told me, mejor ser cabeza de ratón que cabeza de león. Um, so it is better to be the head of a mouse than the tail of the lion. <laughs> so he told me something happens in there you have to step in for a last minute control. you will in Palm Beach in here you won't we'll call an agent and, and you know there will be unless it's really last minute so I remember that I thought maybe I'm you know going to America I'm, I'm doing a, a mistake because I could be here besides you know one of these but you learned on the job 
and, and I learned. And then I came back to my hometown where they both have been music directors as principal guest conductor. That was hmm. 10 years later. Wow. So you know how these cycles, I would have never said. So speaking of good Spanish, uh, when you arrived in America, was your English already fluent? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> well, do, you ha do you have any co uh, funny memories of learning this new language <laughs> that you can share with us? <laughs> well, I mean, let me see. I mean, it's not an easy language uh, to learn. No, it's not. And, and you've mastered it beautifully, but I would imagine there were some funny things that happened early on. Well, I mean, the, the funniest thing is that the way I learned the, the accent, or I get used to the accent because... When, when I signed my contract uh, in Palm Beach uh, that summer, I went three months to, to London to learn English. You know, to, so Did you actually take a course? Yes, it okay. was three months. But I never, I, I went the, the first two, two or three days. Actually, I was studying with, with the grandson of Carlo Maria Giulini. Oh. We were together in the same class. Oh my and goodness. he just passed away like a month before. Yeah. It was 2005. Yeah. This is yeah. five. Yeah. And I remember, going, so we both together, we decided at a certain point, look, I mean, we're not learning anything. So let's go to the proms. So we would go every <laughs> evening <laughs> to the line of the proms, you know, for one pound. It yeah. was, I learned so much so you in there. you stood in the ground. In, in the arena, yes. Yeah. Just sitting sometimes or laying down or just, you know. Amazing. Was this, this three months was the best three months ever. But you learned nothing about <laughs> English. Or you learned it on the streets of London. In the streets of London, yeah, yeah. in the line of, of, of the, of the yeah. Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. In there I did, <laughs> but not in the class because it was so boring. Then I, I, I didn't understand the British accent. But anyway, I got some of it. So when I came to America, it was even worse because I was expecting that accent and it was a different one. You got, Flo you got Florida American, as it were. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, then, then, then in Florida, I mean, most people speak Spanish. Of I course, mean, the farther south you get, even more so. Exactly right. right. So you're in Palm Beach, everybody speaks Spanish or has yeah. to to survive. Yes. Yeah. So you were, able to, you were able to move along slowly at your own pace and master the English language. Yeah, well, I remember, you know, like watching a lot of TV. Yeah, of course. So a many lot people. of, uh, how do you call it in English? Like TV predicators? This, hmm. this, uh, religious people who has their oh preachers yeah the preachers. mega preachers yeah in the, the mega, mega preachers. preachers yeah so I remember you know like spending hours and hours because I it was the only ones this they spoke so slowly yeah. so everybody could understand because it was all amplified in very large yes. spaces so they would speak at, at a very what an so, interesting way to learn the language yeah so I, I would be hours and hours and so could you end, give a sermon now I don't think so because. <laughs> <laughs> that would be I great. don't know the subjects very well, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you learned by li because they were speaking slowly and clearly. Yes, yes, very slowly and and, and very clearly. And I, at the beginning, I didn't understand what they were saying, mm -hmm. but I, I recognized uh, words here and there. So little by little, so so I didn't get the the meaning of their speech, <laughs> but you know, but you got the sound of it. Yeah, the sound. Of it's it. like what they, they, they someone used to say about. Uh, the English and their love of classical music. It was Sir Thomas Beecham, supposedly, who said, well, the English don't like, don't know much about classical music, but they like the noise that it makes. <laughs> so you didn't know much about English, but you'd like the noise exactly that it Exactly like that, exactly. So your, your career begins to take shape, even while you are in Palm Beach. Um, but I know well that you wish to have this wonderfully balanced life of having 
a symphonic existence and an operatic existence. Um, so how does symphonic music begin to have some place in your life? Uh, as you say, you learned at the piano, you learned at the opera house. What were some of your first, what were some of the first experiences conducting orchestras and orchestral repertoire? And perhaps how did your operatic training help you in your early days of conducting symphonies? Yes. Well, so when I started, it started at the same time. Actually, at the time that I conducted this first Don Pasquale, is when I, I was appointed assistant conductor at the Youth uh, Spanish National Orchestra, mm -hmm. which was only symphony. So in there, I did a lot of symphonic. So I did, well, I, I would rehearse, you know, all the rep, rep for all the conductors. Mm -hmm. and, and with them, we had a lot of time to rehearse. Then circumstances made me move to, to, to America, and, 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 and for several years, I focused primarily in, in, in operatic uh, repertoire. In 2009, I conducted my first professional Spanish orchestra, the radio television. It was also last minute and it was broadcasted in TV. So that was my... That's the story of your life. Yes, always, you know. <laughs> last minute and in the spotlight. Right, yeah. right, right, right. And well, you know, I mean, you have to, at uh, that time, the first word that I always said when, when it had to do with, with music was yes. Then I would hang out and I would regret or not, but it was the same with Monserrat Caballé. She would call me always last minute, sometimes two days before one day, you know, and I would say, of course, Montserrat, and I would hang, oh my God, what did I say? Yes. But anyway, you know, I've learned a lot. Now I'm starting to choose more, of course. Now you cannot just say yes, because, I mean, that was a, a process, a sure. process that I was learning and getting experience, and I needed all kind of experiences, you know, to know, you know, to, to learn, simply to learn. Well, let's take a piece of orchestral music, any piece of orchestral music that you wish to choose that you have conducted, and your your experience of working on opera, how does that inform the way you approach a symphonic piece? Yes, so for example, there is something that I think that music, all music has always in common. It's telling a story, with words or without words. But it's always telling a story. I don't really belief in what is so-called pure music, which means just notes. Doesn't exist. For, for me, to pure me, no. Pure music would be music without emotion, too. Right. But there are still some musicians, I've, I've heard even popular conductors to say, you know, uh, like, well, Toscanini said something similar when he what is for you, when they ask him, what is for you, Beethoven, Fifth Symphony, is Allegro con Brio. What does it mean? <laughs> okay, well, so... Maybe we have forgotten, or, or we, or conductors, you know, I think that there's a, a time when the performer was, uh, up to the 19th century, was a composer and performer. True. And then when Hans von Bilow and later on, they became more performance and less conductors. And at the end, you know, at a certain point, I think that the conductor wanted the spotlight. Mm -hmm. The great conductors of the 20th century. You know, and and in a way they had to 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 do their Beethoven Fifth Symphony yeah. or other piece, no, and and for example the rhetoric, which Beethoven used in his music, he loved, and he was speaking always of rhetoric, speaking of music, no, the telling things or or, or how witnesses uh, that um, that heard him live improvising or playing his own music, say about the way he would perform. Or even his pupils, no, the way he spoke about music. It wasn't just 
notes or Allegro Grand Prix or, or, or exposition, development and re-exposition. I mean, for me, exposition and re-exposition, even if it seems that it's the same music because the same notes, but it's like in life, development would be, you know, the, 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 the years from, I don't know, from teenage years until you get married and divorce or you lose a, a bill of one. So you cannot repeat the same thing at the beginning exactly the same way. I mean, you have wrinkles and you have experience. So for me, that's what our exposition, you know, means. Because you have taken a journey. If you have the, if you have the first statement of the of the musical material in the exposition, yes. and then you go through the typical development section where that material has been used as the inspiration for a mental exploration, you are absolutely right. The return of the exposition, the recapitulation, can't be the same because life has intervened absolutely just as you say experiences in life yes. take place and if you i remember someone told a story a f- wonderful pianist who was in a german recording studio and he played the bach goldberg variations to record them for the radio yes. and as you know the bach goldberg variations begin with the aria as mm-hmm. it's called then you have the set of variations and then bach asks you to play the aria again at the very end and they got to the end just before the pianist was to repeat the aria and the recording light went off. And the pianist said, wait, wait, I have the aria to play again. And the recording producer, the German recording producer said, you play it differently? And he says, of course I play it differently. It's a completely different piece after, <sighs> the, after the life of these variations has taken these melodic and rhythmic fragments and turned them every way upside down that we can possibly understand. So you're right. I mean, the Sonata Allegro movement, if it's done properly, is like a life journey. Absolutely. And you're right. When you get to the end, you are a different. You you'd better be a different person, or you'd be a very boring person if you're yes. the same person at the end. Yes. No, I agree. And 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 this is how I mean with with opera you can see it. I mean you see it. Yeah. In Puccini or operas or Verdi when some themes like in La Traviata they come after you you hear this uh, at the beginning and then you see it with a different light. Yeah. And the same thing in Romeo and Juliet, for example, is exactly this the same. is something that it, I, I know this. Our conversation is meant to be heard for a long period of time, but I would like to spend a moment on this particular topic that you mentioned on, because having heard so many rehearsals now of Romeo and Juliet as we prepare for the premiere, I'm struck again and again by there are two or three motives, two or three short melodic phrases in the opera that are used with such devastating theatrical effect when they come back late. The love thing, for example. Yes. And how it's transformed. It's a little different every time you hear either orchestration or or the emphasis on it. That must be a great joy for you as a conductor to discover these things when you're studying a Well, now I have goosebumps. You're telling me this, I have goosebumps. Because I have goosebumps when I'm conducting that. Because that love theme that appears twice at the beginning in D major, then at the very end, when she's in the top, is in B flat, and the big difference is not just the key, but the first time was unaccompanied. I mean, it was only orchestra, no voice, and at the end, Romeo sings with the music, the love theme, but in B flat. So, I mean, and there are other themes that you know you hear at the beginning, and, and also in the duos, in the Declaration of Love, and then it appears at the end, but in not, not in a passionate way. At the beginning, it's for maybe fortissimo, then later it's just pianissimo. 
No, because of course, I mean, they're dying. Life has changed. Like, and life has changed. Even in two days and a half, which is the, the, the story of this love story, no? It's just two days and a half. And still, many things have changed, no? So exactly that is when, when I see a symphony, I have to translate everything to, it's a little bit more difficult, Mm-hmm. No, but with with images, with with this kind of experience, for example, in Mozart is very evident. With Puccini, Verdi, they don't have big orchestral works, but in Mozart, and he even said it. Uh, uh, there is a letter he was uh, writing to his father, and he asked uh, his son, you know, how was how went the the piano concerto? In this case, Mozart wasn't playing; he was conducting, but it was another pianist. Oh, and he said, well, you know. It, he or she played, you know, very well, all the skills, but it wasn't my music because he or she doesn't know my operas. And then when you, when you see the score of the symphonies, the piano concerti, the sonatas, then you're, of course, it, this is like, this is like, like, like Susanna, mm. or this is Don Giovanni, or the beginning of the D minor concert, ram, bam, 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 this D minor. I mean, there are so many things that now, when I see a, a Mozart symphony or, or, or a piano concerto, or a, I can say, I've, I've heard this before. Yeah. This is tuneful music. This is sad music. This is melancholy. This is... And it all comes from the operas. Yes. Or it, it finds a great and different kind of expression in the operas. So you've been talking about core operas that we know. I, I would imagine in your conducting career, as young as it still is, you have done brand new pieces or pieces that you have never seen before, may not be familiar with. Do you have any particular study process that you use to become more comfortable with the piece before you have to step into the rehearsal room or on the podium to conduct a symphonic piece? What's your study method? Well, so it, it, it varies from, 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 from the work and, and how I, I meet the piece, no, because some of them I've played it before. Mm-hmm. Many operas I've played it before and never conducted. Yeah, of later. course, from your life as a rehearsal pianist and a, and a coach accompanist, you will have played lots of repertoire. Right, I, I've played more rep that I've conducted yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many pieces are are new to me, conducting wise, but not uh, yeah, the piano. They're in your hands. They're not in your right in my in arm. Hand, yeah, in your arm yet. But some others have been first in my in my arm, and then. I like to play them. I like to feel always mm. in the fingers, you know, uh, other than just in the brain. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, and and there are just others that it depends. Sometimes I just heard a, a work in, uh, played in a performing a concert or in the radio or in a CD, a recording. Other times, you know, if it's contemporary music, you have to learn it in the in the paper, no, in yeah. the score, it's in, and it's abstract because there is no recording yet. Very abstract. Yeah. Very yeah. abstract. When it's a popular piece or a, a work from the repertoire, uh, what I like to do, there's a lot of musicians that I've heard, you know, I don't like to be influenced by other recordings. Or the, I love to be influenced. I mean, because I learn so much. Mm-hmm. But possibly from, you know, um, live recordings or pirate recordings. Ah. I go to this website with a lot of pirate recordings, you know, with a lot of mistakes. I love that because this is reality. Human music making. Yes. Exactly. And you know, uh, why not? I mean, for example, the last time I conducted Beethoven Fifth was last year. I remember I was I was obsessed with Richard Strauss's recording of that symphony. In the 20s with the Berlin State, op- State Opera. Opera. Very famous recording. Very recording. Yep. Well, to me, it was a discovery because for me, 
I mean, the tradition from Strauss, I mean, just somewhere disappeared with the great conductor of the 20th century. And then I found many similarities with Harnon Kurt, Norrington's, with all these people, you know, that are still, you know, um, favored, like Prisky Tempi, yeah. like Accelerandi, like more flexibility in this music. And then I was shocked, but surprised in a very good way when I, when I heard Richard Strauss doing these kind of things. That were very modern sounding. Very modern, like we understand now, you know, modern interpretation. So that was very, very telling to me, you know, not, not this monolithic mm-hmm. and Beethoven, you know, recordings that, I mean, I, I don't mean to criticize, of course, Fit Bengler, Karaya, the beautiful recordings, I mean, referential recordings. Yeah. But there is something that now we know about Beethoven that you can link and you can trace if you go back to Strauss and others. And then you read, you know, like people who met Beethoven. I mean, we know only two generations removed. Yes, but still, I think it's still like recording, which has been so important eh, for 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 music making. But at the same time, we have lost. I mean, it's like music history started from the first uh, recording we have, no? But what happened before? Yes, but we, it's in the books, but we don't have. But we have no evidence of what Brahms' performances with the Meinigen Orchestra sounded like. Right, we, we we can only imagine from the from the writing and from the score itself. Yeah. We can we can we can know more or less by their pupils, their students, yeah. their schools, yeah. their writings. When Beethoven, when they speak, of, when Beethoven played uh, one of his sonatas, and he played, he started with one tempo, the first theme, and then sometimes he even played twice as slow the second theme or in those times where it's what's called the feminine theme Mm -hmm. masculine and feminine Mm -hmm. then you understand that of course Beethoven is not the metronome from the beginning until the end the metronome is a reference to start but then the journey starts it's amazing there's a story that goes around that when Nicholas Harnoncourt was preparing Mm -hmm. to record Mozart symphonies he asked his recording producer um, to give him three or four performances of the Mozart Jupiter symphony uh, and not tell him who the conductors were. He just wanted a, a variety of previous conductors. And so the story goes that the producer gave him this. It was a cassette of okay. three performances of the Mozart C Major Symphony. And Karnenko called the producer the next day, and he said, who was the last one of the three? And the producer said, why? He said, because it was so modern and so revelatory and so brisk and so clear and so uh, beautiful at the same time. It's the way I hope I can conduct it. He said, that was Pablo Casals. Wow. And when you think of what we might think of Casals as an early 20th century musician living into the 1960s and making these wonderful recordings that he made at the end of his life with the Marlboro Festival Orchestra, that someone as, as, as it were, revolutionary as Harnoncourt would look back and say, ah, that's a tradition I want to have connected to the music. It's very special. Yeah. Very special. You know, I mean, we, we think that these people like Casals, uh, I mean, they, 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 they drank on that tradition. I mean, they met the people who lived with... Yeah, they're not that far removed. They're not, yes, yeah. yes. So when you, uh, when you go through the rehearsal process, it's a, it's a fairly straightforward nine-to-five nine job, as it were. You... <laughs> The, all the singers and you and the stage uh, stage director and the assistants show up in the studio. You work through a certain 
portion of the piece, you take it to its, its uh, get it to performance level. Now it's time for the performance. Um, on the day that you have a premiere, do you have any particular routine? Do you sleep late? Do you have a steak at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? What is the tebar routine <laughs> on the day of a performance? Well, nothing special. Yeah, I don't put the alarm mm -hmm. in the morning. That's okay, so you course. sleep until you wake up. Yes, basically. I sleep until That's I wake good. up. And yeah. then, you know, I have a nice meal. And then, but this is <laughs> almost a ritual that whenever I can, I do it. I take a siesta, a nap. How perfectly Spanish of you. Yes. <laughs> there is something... Even in the wintertime. Well, yes, every yeah, day, yeah. if I can. Yeah, yeah. If I can every day, even yeah. 20 minutes, that's siesta still for me. Wow. Yeah, even 20 minutes in the, in the sofa. It doesn't need to be in bed, no? But but this is something, for example, I've, I've uh, modified some of my habits no? in, in America. In Spain, we used to have lunch, 3 p.m. on, or, or dinner, 10, 30, 11, you know, that's... Normal, no? In America, of course, 12, lunch or mm -hmm. early dinner, yeah. or what we call it early dinner, yeah. for you is normal, no? <laughs> so, but that I like. Now I go to Spain and I don't like late lunch or that. Mm -hmm. or but the siesta is the only thing that I couldn't <laughs> reconcile here. It, go, was, it, go, it goes with you wherever you go. Yes, I was fine, you know, these, these, if there's 20 minutes of break or 20, 30 minutes, I just close the eyes and, you know, put the, the, the blackout on. So and, that's, and, that's and what I do. And you can really before. go completely to sleep. Sometimes, not always. Yeah, but, but I think that a nice siesta, actually in Spain now there is a quote we say that the nice siesta, we have two national uh, channels, TV channels. Mm -hmm. the, the first, mm -hmm. uh, Spanish television first, Spanish television second. Yeah. Okay? Like in many countries. So usually uh, around 3, 30, 4 in the second channel, which is very popular because I had animal documentaries. Animal documentary. I don't know the comment about you know about lions in <laughs> Senegal. I don't know the African <laughs> elephant or whatever. So and this is the perfect time. Everyone in Spain who has the time, they put the second channel, and, and they, they go to sleep. <laughs> it's the perfect and perfect potion for a siesta. Perfect, you know, it's the perfect. I promise not to tell National Geographic. <laughs> so you have talked a lot about. Uh, artists who have inspired you, and particularly about uh, Montserrat Caballé. Um, if you could share with, even if it's just one artist, what is, uh, maybe since we've talked a lot about singers, what is something a singer has taught you about your work and in terms of the way you approach your work or if they were just simply inspiring and why they were inspiring? Well, uh, so I would say two things. One if, is what uh, they have, uh, this thing about breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, is what uh, my first experiences with, with singers, with great singers, because of course not all of them, but uh, with great singers, uh, I've been reassured about this thing about breathing. They have told me, you know, you breathe with us. So that I felt that was very important since they told me, mm -hmm. and I felt this way, you know. And, and uh, another thing that if, learn from them. For example, this is one particular singer that I have in, in mind, which is Placido Domingo. He has been also one of my milestones in my career because I, I first made music with him in 2009, 2009, 10 years now. I've done concerts, I've done opera, I've done Don Carlo with him, I've done Traviata as a baritone. I still conduct him in, in concert when he was singing tenor arias and baritone areas. Amazing. 
Yeah, so pretty soon he will be singing bass aria. Who <laughs> <laughs> knows? I'm sure he will do it. You know, until he falls over on the stage. Yes. and that's probably exactly where he wants to pass away. You have to admire this. Look, yeah. Placido is is such a great artist that whatever he does, I mean, he inspires you. He's so musical. Is even when he's in trouble, hmm. you know, because of course he's human, and and now. It's a, it's, it's a miracle what he's doing with his age, but I've, I had so many experiences with him, and 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 it's still you know he does it now with it. Oh my God! I mean, it's of still course, him. It's still you know, and 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 how he his tricks and I mean his attributes, anything. I, I even I don't know if he would be a showmaker. He would be the best mm. showmaker. Mm-hmm. It's everything he does, everything he touches. It's like you know. And really, because he does it all with passion and incredible yes, intelligence. Yes, course. very intelligent. And I think that he has a lot of respect for the music. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, I've, I've met other great singers that sometimes it's more about them and their voice and how they feel. And because this note how has to last more because it's my... It's my uh, money note. Yes. <laughs> and with, with, with Placido, you, you really feel, you know, that... Uh, it's all about the music. Yes, it's about the music and, and art. and yeah, yeah. Has technology changed how you either work as a conductor or prepare? You mentioned that you've watched, you have the opportunity now to use YouTube and the internet. It sounds like it's been very helpful for you. It's been a good yes. tool. Yes, it's like an encyclopedia now. I mean, in yeah. between, I don't know, I don't want to publicize, but I don't know, Naxos Music Library or Spotify mm-hmm. or YouTube. Yeah. I mean, there are so many so many sources where you can I mean I, I just now sometimes it's too much probably ah. sometimes it's too much you have to be very selective mm-hmm. all the studio recordings are great I try to avoid studio recordings when I'm learning something and I want to because you know it's like Photoshop you yeah. know it better than me exactly. no? sometimes okay you can, make fix it, this. you can make it a nearly perfect and dead on arrival at right. the same time so for example I conducted my first hotel law this year, yeah, a couple of months ago, and and the first thing I, I saw the catalog of all the hotelos, but I wasn't convinced. I wanted, you know, and of course it's Kleiber's hotel with Domingo, but I wanted the 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 live recording, mm-hmm. and I was some relief because it's such a difficult opera that I thought, man, how are, are these guys able to conduct this without mistakes? So I went to that recording. I think it's in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm not sure if it's in the La Scala. But, I don't remember either. No. But, I mean, I saw it. I saw it live at the Met, but I don't think that was yeah. recorded. Yeah. So there is a pirate recording, you know, circulating, and it's Kleiber with 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 Domingo, and there are so many blessed mistakes because I say, oh, of course, of course. I mean, how do you how? Do, and if Kleiber and Domingo can you know do still that. Then, you know, I, I have, you know, I approach the score with, you know, a little more relaxed, you know. <laughs> Even the gods sometimes have clay feet. Exactly <laughs> yes. Right. So um, when it comes to performing, you are, I'm reminded of a, a comment of, by a famous conductor, Fritz Reiner, who said, uh, my job is to make the musicians sweat. I'm not supposed to sweat. And so, but I think the same can apply to emotions. How do you approach your own emotions when you're conducting a very emotional score? What is, how do you, how do you keep that Latin passion from not overwhelming you uh, and making yourself cry rather than the audience cry? What kind right. of discipline do you have? 
Well, for me, it's difficult because I sweat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I even have a, an anecdote of Toscanini. Uh-huh. When he, uh, someone told me, someone who was close to him, uh, who studied with Ferrara, mm-hmm. with Franco Ferrara, uh, told me that when, when he was asked, he, he wanted a, he needed an assistant conductor. He wanted an Italian conductor. So he went to Italy and they presented him with two conductors. One was Franco Ferrara, Ran on to become a great teacher of conductors. Yes, one of the greatest teachers of conducting. And the other was, was Guido Cantelli. Went on to become a great conductor with a tragically short career. Yes. So the story goes, they have told me that, and this story has been told by Franco Ferrara himself to one of my teachers, <laughs> that they did this audition with this orchestra in Italy, and he was so pleased with both of them. And they asked him, well, maestro, so which one are you going to choose? Well, I don't know because they're wonderful conductors, both of them. Yes, but you have to choose one. Which one? Really, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Well, a musical, you know, reason that there's something. Well, so let's go with Widow Cantelli. And then they asked, and why not? <laughs> well, Widow Cantelli sweats much less. <laughs> that was the only reason. <laughs> A lack of perspiration got him the yes, job. Yes, <laughs> but then you see the NBC videos of of, of Toscani, and he sweats a lot. <laughs> yeah. He's like you know, like soaked, yeah, especially especially under those hot TV lights. Yes. But aside from the physical, how do you maintain your emotional composure while you are conducting? Because it could be very easy to get carried away because you yeah. conduct some tremendously dramatic music. How do you keep it all? How do you keep the emotion where it belongs? I guess. Yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes, yeah, you have to remind yourself, you know, to be not out of the music, but out of the emotion, like you're saying, mm-hmm. mostly when something is going wrong, mm-hmm. you know, it's a chorus who is dragging or a singer who didn't enter in the right beat or then you have to, you know, step aside and, 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 and take be control cold. of the situation. Yeah, take yeah. control of the situation. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't think much about this because I think that if I'm not, I don't feel the emotion myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I can transmit that in the gestures or at least in my gestures because there are other conductors like you, you mentioned Reiner, mm-hmm. but his conducting technique was very peculiar. Yeah, no? and very minimal. Very minimal, very yeah. so, of course. Then you see Carlo Maria Giulini, who came after him in, with the Chicago Symphony, yeah. right? Yeah, he conducted a lot in Chicago. Yeah. But Giulini was the opposite, you know, and you see uh, his gestures. Actually, there was an anecdote that someone told him, you know, very malicious, you know, please, um, uh, Maestro Giulini, would you give us a dumb beat like Reiner? Ooh, ouch. Oh, ouch, no? So, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends. I, I'm, I'm more, I have Mediterranean blood. And still, although I remember, I was, I was never a, a, a student of Alita de la Rocha, but I took many master classes with her, uh-huh. lessons, piano lessons at the mm-hmm. end of her life. So, um, I had very interesting um, conversation with her. And I remember that she always said, you know, you have to be, you have to be, don't give always your 100%. Don't give it. You have to be always very well. It, it worked for her. I don't know what she really meant. Yeah. Because what does it mean that you are in the stage and you're not hundred percent? Sometimes I feel myself. Well, now I'm one hundred fifty because I'm doing more than I should. I don't know. I think it depends <laughs> with your character. Yeah. But but uh, I've never felt l- lost 
because you know I was like too emotional that I didn't know where I was. Yeah. So I think that the point is that you have to know so well the score and so well what you want that you also have to forget the score. But how do you forget it? Not by losing yourself and not knowing what you are doing, but not thinking, okay, now first beat, second beat, they enter. I don't think that it works like that. It some, becomes something of, of an almost out-of-body experience, I think, for some conductors. They are almost able to watch themselves conduct, meaning that they are having this, they're so, it's a very zen thing. You are so passionate and it's so deep inside you that you're not doing it. The hand is doing it by itself almost. Right. It's an extraordinary experience. Actually, for example, when people ask me about the technique, and that's why I, th I feel fortunate that I didn't, learned you know from a particular school no mm -hmm. i'm not saying that it's better or worse but it's just my experience or my method or the way i became a conductor but um i never studied the gestures the first time that i started studying or or putting in practice into practice the gestures Beat in the patterns. rehearsal room yeah That's not it. even in my home when i see the score i don't i don't move the arms yeah because isn't, I mean, how can you, what does it mean moving the arms and nothing, no one is responding? So the movement has to be according to the material you have, to the voices you have, to the chorus you have, with a different chorus will be a different, for me at least, a, a, different, a different movement of the of the, yeah, of the arm. A different kind of energy, yeah. Exactly. It depends on the orchestra, the, the singers. So the first time that I, myself, that I put into practice my technique for a particular opera, is the first rehearsal with principals or with the pianist or and then it's different when I move there with the pianist than, than with the orchestra. Yes. That you has don't to need be, right? to, Yes. But there are other musicians that they don't think like this, no? Or they I think it depends on the way it works for, for each one, no? Well for you it seems also it goes back to one of these original principles. You become a good conductor if you, only if you know how to breathe. Yes. Whether yes. it's instrumental music or vocal right. music. And help and help the performers breathe. And this is something that I always do. And 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 I remember Mozart Cavalli used to criticize me a lot. This, but with orchestra there's no problem. <laughs> with was a pianist, it was a problem. So what is my method? I sing everything. I sing all the time for myself. But sometimes I'm humming, making noises. So with the orchestra. The audience doesn't doesn't hear because I mean there's a, there's a lot of sound. A lot of sound. But I remember with piano, she found out the, our first recital was in, 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 in Cologne. And, and and she told me, I mean, there's someone singing in the in the in the audience. And I was like, <laughs> Did you hear? No, no, I didn't hear anything. So then, you then, lied again. <laughs> I lied again. <laughs> so in the second area, I tried to keep myself but not singing. And I was too cold. I I, I was accompanying her, but I wasn't involved. You know? Oh, how wonderful. So I have to, I mean, inside it. And it's the only way I can breathe because if I phrase with them, if I sing, the way they're singing is because I'm not singing my interpretation. You're singing their interpretation. Yes, I try to be like a chameleon, mm -hmm. no? So now with our soprano or a tenor, I try to, 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 to I don't know, it's like a, a symbiosis, no? Mm -hmm. I have to, to, I try to understand the way they phrase whether I like it or not. It's the way that they phrase and the way that they're, they, they will be delivering their artistry and you have to be there to help them. Absolutely, because if I do, or if I make them do what I want to do for every phrase, for every end of, of, of notes, and 
then, I mean, first, in performance, they will forget many of these things. They will do their way, and we will not even be together. Right. Uh, so it will be very frust frustrating. Yeah. So I try to understand their personality, the way that they think the phrase. Of course, in the first question, I try to shape that. Yes. Mainly by reasoning why I think that the composer, not me, mm. but why I think that the composer, I may be wrong, but by why, you know, maybe this should be in diminuendo because in the orchestra it happens the same. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have to do it. I try to convince them with that. But at the end, it's their personality. And it should be like that. Yeah. When I work with, with, con with like composers, they, they always have told me, good, good ones, you know, that, that the work is not finished until. Is performed, so which fifty percent is you know in the part of the of the performers, yeah. and in then it's only then when the music is is alive and exists because the music doesn't exist in the in the it's in dead the, on paper in paper yeah, it comes to life in your hands and in 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 their hearts and in their mouths and in their ears and in their bows and in their fingers yes absolutely so every guest we have we actually end our time together with asking the exact same questions. Now, you have the right to say, I don't want to answer that question, or I have no answer for that question. Right? Perfectly acceptable. What do you usually have for breakfast? I forgot. I forget to, to have breakfast. This is one of my... <laughs> <laughs> Not even a coffee. No, I don't drink coffee. I'm a Spaniard, I know. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> so I, and that thing is very unusual. And with, with meals... I'm very, I mean, this is since I was a kid, my mom was always bad. You have to have breakfast today because, you know, how are you going to, I don't know, I, I, breakfast is, I always forget. It's optional. It's optional. <laughs> I only have breakfast when I go to the hotels. So in my home, I don't do it, but when I go to the hotels and there are these Beautiful great buffet, buffet then, you there. know, I, I'm there. <laughs> Otherwise, oh. I want to study, I want to go yes. run. How do you deal with stress? I'm learning, mm -hmm. I'm learning, but uh, with silence, I really love silence. It's too little. It's too. It's in too short supply in our career, isn't yes. it? Yes, there's a lot of noise. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, who is your most? Imp if you have one important mentor, do you have one person that you could single out, or one of many people that you say he or she was very important to me in my career? Yes, there's a teacher that um, nobody knows because he's not a performer. He's, uh, his name is Carlos Jimeno. Carlos, uh, with whom I'm still in contact. Hmm. We still talk about music, about, you know, he's a and, scholar. And, 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 but he was one of my first teachers. Of music? Of music, music, of solfecho. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I always remember that he told me, you have always to aim for more than you think you can achieve. Because if you don't get that, at least you will achieve, you know. So if you want to, I don't know, an example, you want to, to, to perform the piano, okay, so aim for, for, for being one day at Carnegie Hall. If you don't get there, at least maybe you go to Paris. It's not bad, no? But, you know, so he always, you know, had this, you have to shoot, you know, for... Shoot for the stars. Yes, for the yeah. stars, and then, yeah, yeah. What are you reading? Now I've been reading two books in the last two weeks. One is about Leonardo da Vinci, which I love. This new big biography? Or? Well, uh, this is, uh, I think it's a simplified, it's, it's Leonardo da Vinci, but, n but more the, the, the man. 
more than nice. his yeah. uh, okay. achievements and inventions and discoveries and you know um, uh, more about the man you know psychologically and very interesting it's not a long book the um, and uh, by the way, I discovered that that in Madrid, the Museo del Prado, we have the the last uh, codices. Wow! Last, uh, how do you say it in English? Codices. Codices. Yeah. Codices. So you have the the last of the of the one uh, of the last sketches books. Yeah. Sketches books are in the Museo del Prado. They were lost for centuries. And they discovered it in the basements of the Museo del Prado in Madrid. One of them. So this the is other the, book? And the other one is, is Sapiens. 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 Yeah. Sapiens. Very interesting book. I, I like the way it's, uh, it's explained, you know, the history of, of, of mankind, no? Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. Are there television series or podcasts that you watch or listen to regularly? Yes, a lot. One or two? You like uh, in more than one or two? Oh, okay, <laughs> a lot of yes. I I, I love particularly like historical um, series. Like for example, now I'm I'm watching Medici. Ah yes. The Tudor, mm -hmm. uh, Versailles. Mm -hmm. So I'm now. But not animal documentaries. No, they put you well, to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I love them, although I love them, no, but not. <laughs> Do you have a phone application, a phone app that you find most useful in your either in your work or in life in general? Um, well, you know, I'm not very fan of the phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, now, well, I travel always with my phone and my laptop, so I use mostly the laptop. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I don't know, Spotify and, mm -hmm. and Naxos. Yeah. Being because, a musician, they're very helpful. Yes, because yeah. you have everything yeah. there, no? So you have been visiting Cincinnati uh, off and on since 2008. Um, is there uh, is there a favorite Cincinnati discovery, either a restaurant or a place that you've gone that you like very much? That's particular. Well, not a not a restaurant, a place. I love you know like all the area of the river. Ah, the first time the I came front. here, I was I was by Deerfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember always driving. You know, and and you know this, the, the 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 curve of the river. I really love that that view. Then later, to be honest, when I'm traveling, I'm not. Uh, I'm the worst tourist. You're you're absorbed in your work. Yes, and and and, and I mostly go to the hotel, to the apartment, and study. And now I have also responsibilities in Europe, so it's six hours difference. So when, you know, I'm not rehearsing here. I'm you know with Making calls plans and in meetings Valencia, in there. Yeah. So. Is there a piece of career advice you have received that you like to pass on to others? Something that you repeat yes. that someone has told you? Yes. Sometimes when I don't have, I don't teach, I don't have students, but some people come to for advice and I always tell them, look, are you looking for money? Because if you're looking for money, this is the wrong. This is the wrong <laughs> profession. Yeah. I mean... Karian you made can make money. a lot of money. Yeah, Karian made money, but that's yes. a different time. <laughs> but it's like an, an add-on, no? Yeah. I mean, you may, if you're good, don't worry. You'll make money. Mm. But you cannot enter this just thinking, you know. I mean, you want to move money to Wall Street or become a lawyer. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to criticize those profession. Of course, they are very uh, respectful. But, but not in music. I mean, you have to really... Uh, have a, a real vocation, mm -hmm. you know, to to enter this. Otherwise, I mean, it's, it's a difficult. I mean, as a profession, it's difficult yeah. because the the traveling part, the being lonely in hotels, you know, it's it's very. One of my worst moments when performing is is right when I'm bowing, because I know that the night is over. 
And now there's 2,000 people applauding me and the musicians and the singers, but in, in 30 minutes I will be alone in my hotel. That's one of the hardest things. And people doesn't realize, no? And, and, and this is, I mean, that's why you have to do it for other reasons, which is art and music. Otherwise, it's very hard life. Could be the best life, I think, ever, or the worst if you're not motivated. You don't have the right motivation. Do you have a favorite musician outside of classical music that you listen to or have admired over the years? Uh, well, not a particular musician, but a particular style. For example, I, I love flamenco. Ah, too Spaniard. Yes, <laughs> yeah, too Spaniard. Spaniard. <laughs> I love flamenco, you know, and 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 uh, yes, I, I, I couldn't say you know one in particular, but uh, but flamenco, but flamenco is, style. I mean, uh, is one of the. F- I mean, it's the only style that always made me goosebumps. Not even classical music. Sometimes I hear to, you know, a Schubert song or this. How beautiful! But not always. I got I get goosebumps, goosebumps. with flamenco. Yeah. I don't know. It must be something in, in you know in the, it's in the, the memory. DNA. DNA, it's in knows? the DNA. And I don't come from from. I mean, you don't come from flamenco other, country. No, yeah. I'm, I'm from Valencia, from the Mediterranean. No. Yeah. But yes, there is something about the Spanish music, about flamenco and, and in particular. Yes, uh, is there a? Do you have an approach to convince someone to try opera for the first time? If you meet someone in the grocery or at the airport or your taxi driver and they've never been to the opera before, what do you tell them? Well, the first thing is that, um, for example, in this particular opera that we're doing right now, Romeo and Juliet, I mean, they should come. Because they know the the argument, they know the plot, and if you add to that the beautiful music and a live orchestra with sixty, seventy musicians plus a chorus plus singers without amplification, I mean, only for me, only the experience of of feeling or hearing the singers breathing is one of the greatest experience for me. It's also it's so unique. Because, because, again, you know, Romain Juliet will happen this Thursday, will happen one Romain Juliet, because on Saturday will be a different one. The same music, but things will, will, will change. Emotions will change, phrasing will change. So, of course, the, the, the audience, they don't know these details, but they get that. Mm-hmm. There is something that I read once about uh, a study of an American university about classical music. It said that, that they made a study on, on, on listeners and they said that 25% of the wrong notes, the audience in general, they don't get it. 25% of, you know, like out of tune notes or, you know, problems in the ensemble, they don't get it. But the only thing that they get 100% is the expression. That's what the audience always gets. There were sometimes you you see, well, that singer is not as great. If we speak from our perspective as specialists, as musicians, it's different. But sometimes there are soloists or singers who are giving more than just what it seems to us, you know, the perfect musician. And this is for me, you know, one of the things that is unique in music that only happens, you know, in that time. And if they come, if they don't come this Thursday, they will miss that chance. It will be another one, but not that one. That's one of the beauties of being a live performer, is that you get, to, you get to create it every night that you perform it. Absolutely. Ramon, thank you so, so much. A pleasure to talk to you as always. 
Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Thanks for listening. For more information about Cincinnati Opera, please go to cincinnatiopera.org. And please do subscribe to this podcast. For Cincinnati Opera, I'm Evans Mirages.